You're listening to Make It, a podcast by Bonsai Creative that helps aspiring professionals in film get where they're going faster by dissecting the advice, knowledge, and insights of professional creatives in the film industry. I'm your host, Chris Barkley, and with me today is my good friend and Make It podcast co-host, Nicholas Bugs. Hello, hello, Chris here with another episode of the Make It Podcast, and this is an Indie Talk Week, and that means I'm here with my good friend and co-founder of Bonsai Creative, Nicholas Bugs. Nick, say hello. <laughs> What's up, man? You know, you just started giggling for no reason, and so did I. It was the weirdest thing. <laughs> you know, I'm, I have so much joy in my heart, and I think I laugh because I'm a happy person. Well, you, good. You sing because you're happy, Nick. That's right. That's right. I sing because I'm free. You know, the real reason I laughed is because <laughs> the real reason I laughed is because I try to do that voice, that radio voice people do, mm-hmm. where they're kind of cued up a little bit. They make their voice a little like uh, sweeter and brighter for the introduction. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh huh. I know. And then I found myself doing it, and then I'm conscious of doing it, and then I'm kind of embarrassed that I'm doing it, <laughs> and then I laugh. You laugh at yourself. I'm laughing at myself. Yeah, because it's like, what what am I doing? My my audience knows better than this. (laughs) They know I'm sad and an introvert. (laughs) Right. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Sure. (laughs) No, it's good. It's good to have you here. It feels like it's been a long time since we've talked, but I think it's because we've just been putting out so much content lately. We've had a great interview with great response from um, the interviews with Alan Powell and Rashina Nash. We've had our mistakes in the making that have rolled out and really got great feedback. So thank everyone from that across the globe or, or thank, I thank everyone across the globe for that feedback that listens to this program. And we recently rolled out our film investment series, which are just little short blurbs with myself and uh, another creative that I'm really close friends with uh, named Jason McConnell. And he's a writer and uh, indie creative. And we have a conversation about investing in film and, just realizing there's a whole group of people out there that might want to invest in a movie, but really don't know the best way how to do it without, you know, losing your shirt. So uh, that rolls out on Sundays and they're just little short, short little bites. They're like, uh, it's like you don't eat the whole candy bar, right? You're on a diet. You, You just take a little square and you eat it and it's delicious and you're thankful for it. Right, Nick? Yeah. But you know, if you're on a diet, you can't have the full candy bar. You got to get the little minis. You know, they get the little mini bites and then you're good to go. Otherwise, the rest of the candy bars are staring you in the face. That's right. That's right. Maybe it's like it's like uh, you can't just buy one chocolate covered almond. Oh. They always sell it to you in a tub. And then you're that's right. And then you have to eat the whole tub and then ruin your, <laughs> ruin your life and, and your waistline. There you go. Uh, there is some housekeeping to do early. So. Uh, it would be unfair to our audience and, and disingenuous if we didn't mention how things have changed so rapidly uh, in the last two months. So we spent about two months during COVID talking about the influence of TikTok and where TikTok was going to go and in the independent film industry and, and how you can take advantage. Well, fast forward two months in this political climate, in this particular world we live in right now, TikTok 
looks like uh, it's abandoned ship time for the U.S. if somebody doesn't buy them. And so there would probably need to be uh, a shift in your plan if you've started to make short-form content or a feature film uh, with your eyes directed towards maybe a TikTok promotion or TikTok audience, Nick. Yeah, but I've you know also seen at the same time, you know, you could say industry is picking up on that. And, you know, you've seen short form content uh, via reels on Instagram. And you're also seeing short form content, let's say like 30 seconds long show up on YouTube. And, you know, it's kind of the, it's the weird thing to see, to be honest, you know, watching, you know, a video on YouTube. And then you see all of these, you know, options for these little short videos, these TikTok like videos. Some of them, I think, are coming directly from Instagram. Other ones people are creating just for YouTube. Uh, but it's like, you know, people are saying, yeah, this was a this is a big deal. People love this short form content. And other uh, providers, other social media and media outlets are saying, well, you know, if TikTok is on the outs, then we need to pick up where they're left off. So, yeah, if TikTok specifically isn't the place for it, then you've got other places right now like Instagram and YouTube that are picking up the slack. Yeah, I think the spirit of our advice remains true. It's just the yep. context and medium of where it is is changing. And look, YouTube and Google, they're doing to Instagram and TikTok and Snapchat what Instagram had previously done to Snapchat, which is they just took their best you know feature and copied it and put it on their own site. And now it's just a norm. Now you, every site you go to is going to have a stories element, if you will, a video element, short form video element to it. And then it'll have a feed element of some sort. Now on YouTube, the feed element is just simply video after video after video. It's even, it's just, I always get mind boggled when I think about how much content is uploaded to YouTube every day. And thank, that's the one social network, if you want to call it that, where I'm like thankful for the algorithm. Because the algorithm on Instagram is so ridiculous that we don't even like posting to Instagram. And yeah. Facebook is attached to that. In, you know, obviously, because they own it. But on YouTube, oh my gosh, the deluge of irrelevant shit you would be covered in if you didn't have an algorithm that kind of knew who you were a little bit. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, yeah, right. And it's, uh, you know, and I think the, the other difference between the two outlets, I think, is that, at least for me, and I don't know if I can speak for the general population, I hope I can with this instance, is that, you know, people use YouTube with a purpose. You yeah. know, yes. they use Instagram and Facebook by accident, right? You just go on, <laughs> you know, and then you flip, right? You just swipe, 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 swipe. Whereas yeah, you go to YouTube looking for something specific. And that's the idea is that YouTube wants to give you the content that you truly want, yeah. right? Because you're going there to watch something. You're not going to flip, 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 flip. So yeah, I think their algorithm is definitely attuned to a different type of use case. Yeah, and I'm watching the trends and, and seeing the usage month by month as I as I normally like to do. And what you find is when your new boyfriend or girlfriend leaves you, the first thing you do is go back to what you knew before. And this is what's happening in social media. So with a lot of people freaked out about TikTok, you're seeing this surge in Snapchat. So, you know, who TikTok really disrupted was was Snapchat a little bit. And now kids are running back to Snapchat full bore and Snapchat is taking full advantage of that with their ad runs. They're running more ads in their shows now uh, more than ever. So their ad revenue is up. 
you you mix that with with uh, or dovetail that with the fact that there's a lot of advertisers boycotting Facebook, and you have a nice little boon for Snapchat right now. So maybe you take the same advice that we gave before about TikTok, and maybe you find a way to apply it to Snapchat uh, going forward. Yeah. Second piece of uh, housekeeping is that okay? We were slightly wrong about TikTok. But we were very uh, correct in a big way about the uh, need for an outside buyer to uh, be in the movie business. So we had talked many months ago about why Apple, why Amazon, why Disney might not buy AMC. Uh, obviously, the $10 billion in debt was one reason why. But another reason why is because the theater business is a real estate business. And most people don't know that, uh, just the way, same way McDonald's is a real estate business. The difference between McDonald's and, and the theater, we were saying back in the day, and I can repeat it now, is that the theater requires a certain amount of density for the model to work. And then they have all these verticals on the inside of the theater that they're experts in as well that drive their profit margin because their product is split in half with studios. Right. And so you were saying, Nick, if you want to remind everybody that the best buyer might be McDonald's, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, business. Yeah. I laughed. I knew you were going to say it for some reason. I, I remember, but I laughed because I'm thinking, of course he would go to McDonald's uh, using their space as a big drive-in theater. And, and then I finally called on to it and was like, okay, well, you could drive through and order a Big Mac and then watch a movie. That's pretty awesome. McDonald's didn't do it, but who did, Nick? Wally World. <laughs> That's right. Walmart is going to do it. And why would they do it? Because they're in the real estate business. They understand real estate. They understand space. And they have these giant parking lots in it. Um I don't know. Do you remember how many Walmarts are going to roll out initially with drive-in theaters? No, I think it's in the order. Like it's, I think it's more than a hundred, right? I want to say it was one sixty, but I'd have to to check my numbers on that. Yeah, it's amazing, and it's a great idea. And there's a lot of things Walmart can do to enhance that experience, and they have the money to do it, and it doesn't hurt their model at all to do it. They can build them up and tear them down, almost like a, a, a city by city carnival <laughs> that, that yeah. builds their carnival in the parking lot of a of a supermarket and then shuts down one week later and you never it's like they were never there. Uh, Walmart can certainly build something like that and do it with a high degree of technology. It doesn't have to be arcane, you know. It's it could be really high level, or they could make them permanent and just try to disrupt film. You know, in a new way, you know, you assume that their bet is, is that COVID is here for a while and that people have actually adjusted to this new normal and actually like it a little bit. Uh, I know that me and you have a very close friend that hopes COVID never ends. <laughs> <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> but you're right about, you know, about Walmart, you know, you talk about that real estate and, you know, one of the things about COVID other than disrupting the theaters is that it actually frees up parking space, right? Like that's why they could actually do something permanent. It's because people aren't going out to the stores in the same numbers, you know, at the same times of day. Oh, that's genius. So that those, yeah, those parking lots aren't as full anymore. So if the whole back half 
of your parking lot is available, then you can put those screens up. You know, you can put whatever audio equipment up that you need and the lighting and all the stuff to make it work and still not disrupt the front half of your parking lot that is used for normal parking. And it well, the you reason know, I think it's genius, Nick, is because they're also betting on the Internet future. So yeah. the, the other thing Walmart is great at is supply chain. Yep. So they have the warehousing. So they can just run their whole business and compete with Amazon. You know, Amazon's number one competition is Walmart. So if Walmart envisions an Amazon future where they compete with them and they have the money to build the technology, they can build a site just like Amazon, then what are they going to do with all this real estate? <laughs> it's yeah. kind of evil genius, right? Yeah, but the other part of it is is that you know they use they leverage the real estate. You know, think about this, man. You know, doubling down on the real estate that you have, you know, they could have an Amazon like store, which I think they actually do. So I actually was on there uh, the other on Walmart.com the other day. Uh, I think my son was looking for some superhero costumes, right? So I did a search and Walmart came up. Uh, so I was clicking through these things and I started to notice that it said, you know, a couple of the costumes would say sold and shipped by, mm-hmm. and it would have a different name. So I told my wife, I was like, oh, snap, Walmart is doing the Amazon infrastructure thing. You got other people selling through Amazon, through uh, Walmart. So they're already to a degree doing it. Right. But the thing that, but the thing that I'm thinking about is, okay, imagine you have that real estate, right? You have Walmart there, man, you double down, dude. You got people who go there who buy, let's say dry goods, right? Things that are, you know, uh, non-perishable. Mm-hmm. So you need, you're going to go to a movie tonight. Yeah, cool. I'm going to go pick up some toilet paper and some paper tiles too. <laughs> Right? <laughs> like, it's genius. And what else? I'm going to buy some food, some snacks. There you go. That's what I was going to say. What's really going to happen wow, is they're going to buy a, a fucking two liter of Coke, a bag of popcorn, four candy bars, and a box of condoms. And some plastic cups. And some plastic solo cups. That's what's you know what going to happen. Exactly. All, all at Walmart. All at once. Exactly. All of it. So you're going to do your shopping for the week. You're going to buy stuff for the night. And you're going to watch a movie. And to your point, if they get to the competition, so here's the competition that I see for, you know, for Walmart and Amazon is that, you know, you'll have movies, right, that are exclusively shown at Walmart. It, no, it, that's exactly right. And, and Walmart can actually start doing what Amazon's doing and funding films, right? Because exactly. we, th- those executives have probably been doing it independently anyway, right? right. So now they're just doing it as a as a company approach. And, you know, I never thought I'd say this, but I'm so glad that Walmart is, com- is competing against Amazon. I love Amazon. I'm Amazon prime member. I'm like, I'll put it out there. It's no big deal, but I want competition. Yep. And 100%. I, yeah. I don't want target and Walmart and all these places to simply sit back and let Amazon slowly put them out of business. Instead, get innovative, get competitive, get going. Now, what Walmart needs to do is what Target did, and they need to disassociate themselves from the image of having, you know, poor relationships with their staff and poor pay for their staff and uh, poor hiring practices for their staff. They can get away from that along with some of the quality issues, which is easily alleviated by third-party sellers, then I think... I think we'll see, like I said, I think we're, we're sort of living through, um, 
something really interesting here. So I'm glad we caught on to that. I'm glad we made a good call and we'll see how it works. I do want to get, we talk about AMC a lot, like they're the only game in town. They're not, they're, they're, two other major theater chains and several other small theater chains throughout the country. AMC just happens to be the biggest, but I, we talk about them a lot. Um, I want to say something nice about them. And here's what I like about AMC is, and I could be wrong. And if you agree with me, you can end up being wrong, but I hope I'm not. <laughs> and I think it's cool. I think it's cool what they're doing. I think it's smart. I think there's a lot of smart people at the top of AMC on August 20th. They're going to open up their theaters, a subset of their theaters. And it's about a hundred or 200 or so theaters. And they're going to only be showing re reprints or um, re reruns of, of movies that have already been released. So re-releases, that's the word I'm looking for. My goodness. Yep. And the tickets, Nick, are going to be 15 cents a ticket. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. They just tested, let me just stick a let me just stick a toe in the water and find out. They're gonna block the they're gonna block every other seat so that you will be about in theory three and a half to four feet, not six feet. But if you have a brain, then you probably know six feet is arbitrary. Uh, but, uh, and, and highly dependent on whether the person next to you is coughing and spitting and, and sneezing. Right. Um, but I don't want to get political, Nick. So I'm going to stick with AMC. So okay. yep. we block the seats, 15 cents a ticket. We re, uh, we watch these re-releases of popular films and they see what the traffic's going to be like. Then... In phase two of the rollout, they will be showing $5 movies and some $10 movies. So the net result of this is that it's going to be a discount for the movie going public and people who love movies. Now, I'm not saying we're not going to eventually get up to the sort of crazy price tickets were before COVID. I think in your area, Nick, you said it was, what, what $15.50 a ticket? for yeah, Something like that or even more. Right, or eighteen fifty, yeah, eighteen ninety nine, sixteen ninety nine, something in that realm. Yeah, that's bananas. So, yeah, but that's where that's where we get into an economic conversation about the value of the dollar, and we don't want to do that either because this is an independent film podcast. <laughs> but, um, but, but anyway, the point is, is that this is a big discount uh, for for moviegoers. So, kudos to AMC for reading the tea leaves, and and sort of doing what it takes again. The same thing I gave kudos to Walmart for being competitive, being creative, figuring a way out and seeing what people will do, Nick. Yeah. Well, I think it'll be really nice. I think, again, like you're saying, it's really cool that AMC is doing this. I just want everyone to be ready to pay for that uh, $7.50 Coke. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Got to make up that money somewhere. Uh, But I do, I want to offer this one. I just thought about this and I want to offer this to the theater chains out there. So you talked about the idea that there, you know, every other seat is going to be open, Mm -hmm. right? How about not, right? How about we don't do that? And we offer uh, people an opportunity through innovation, through just some simple technology, right? How about you put a movable screen in between every seat? Mm, that sounds more expensive than just saying, don't sit here. Doesn't matter. Because, you know, you know, but you know why? It might be more expensive on the front end 
But on the back end, you can fill more seats. Yes. And on the back end, there's less litigation. There you go. So put up a shield if you put, want to. Put, potentially. Potentially. Right. But put up a shield if you want to. Between every seat, right? Family of four sits down. They want to put the shields up in between them. They can. They yeah. I like, your, I like your first argument for better, right? Yeah. More, more seats. That doubles your money. That's smarter. That's going to be a short-term pain for a long-term gain. I like your idea better. I think... There's very little litigation that could happen in either case. Why? That's right. Because they took a measure. That's right. All these measures, and we know this because we created a, a back-to-set COVID-19 checklist that you can get at www.bonsai.film. Um, we know that you have to go by local guidelines in order to do anything. So as long as your business can say, hey, I went by the COVID guidelines to open my, my business, then there's very little valid litigation that, that you have to worry yeah, about or, if you're or, or pushback or even community pushback. So, and that's the thing. So think about this. They talk about these six feet, right? That you, you said is arbitrary. Um, and one of the reasons why one could posit that it is arbitrary, especially when you have something like a screen is how far are you away from the cashier at, at a grocery store, right? Or at a Starbucks or at a Seven Eleven when there's a shield, right? You're not six feet apart. You might be three, right? Yeah. So, Again, the six feet doesn't make sense or it isn't it is no longer relevant when you have the shield because that's the the barrier, not the distance is protecting you. So that's what I'm saying. If these theaters gonna open up, yeah, forget keeping empty seats, man. Just put a, a shield. And a lot of these places went straight low budget, right? These convenience stores, it's just a piece of plastic, man. Right? You get a piece of plastic on a hinge, it goes up, it comes down. You know, you don't have to go high budget on this. Well, there there just, are there are externalities though, right? Two. Well, okay. If I put up a plastic screen in between every seat, let's say I have three hundred seats, that's one hundred and fifty screens. Mm-hmm. Now I have to wash one hundred and fifty screens per showing on each side. So really, I'm doing three hundred sprays. So now I have to now my my cleanser expense has gone through the roof. This is per if theater. It, but if that's a requirement, because right now I will tell you that for every patron that goes through a grocery store or a convenience store, they do not clean the screen. Right. Well, so the, there's a period of fair. time during the day when they clean it, but they don't clean it with every person who goes up to the screen. So it's really, I think there's it's, a balance there. It's really interesting. It depends on what the public wants, I think. I, well, I agree to a degree, right? But if so, if they ask for it, if there's an outcry, but I'll just say right now that when I go to the grocery store and there's a screen up or I go to a convenience store, there's a screen up, the person after me isn't saying, hey, excuse me, would you clean that screen? It's true. It's true. But you're there. So, it's so. Uh, I hear you. Almost <laughs> ephemeral. It's like it's like you're there you, for a I'm, moment, I'm, you pay you. and you walk away. Have you ever seen the bottom of a theater chair? Yeah, I hear you. But what I'm saying it's covered is in it's covered like in the in only play, only things the devil creates. You're right, but you can play devil's advocate, right, on anything. Right. No, I, no, saying, I know, I know. I'm still with you. One of those I yeah, just, that I, would just save, you know, give give the theaters a little bit more cash in their pockets, allow people, you know, the thing that I want out of all this is really a little bit more flexibility for humans to take some control of their future, right? And to have some choice in the matter. And so yeah, if you want that screen up, put it up. That's my favorite part. My favorite part is, is I think human, and I preach this all the time, human beings and individuals need to show the world that we are totally capable and able 
to take care of ourselves in most instances. And when you appear helpless, that is a really bad sign for the future generations that come after you because they will be completely dominated in their day-to-day life. Uh, So, hey, I'm with you. That's my favorite part of the idea. and, And I'm with you even beyond that. It's not even that I'm playing devil's advocate. I just... I just think that when you sit somewhere for two hours and most movies are made and geared toward 19 to 24 year old men, which are basically boys that are of legal age because men just mature so much slower than women. Those things are going to be fucked up. <laughs> look, look, look. <laughs> that's just, just that's just, all I'm saying. But, 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 I'm not even being devil's advocate. I'm just for telling two, you. Right, for two hours, people are facing forward. And you if they're think. not, it's because they're talking to the person next to them. And if they're talking to the person next to them, the screen's going to be down. Okay, so these. <laughs> so, okay, okay, so now I think I get a clearer picture. You're saying these screens are, are mobile. You can pull them up. It doesn't say you pull, pull them up down. and pull them down. Okay. It's your choice. So you so. I would say start with the screens down, but let yeah. everybody know you can pull them up. If they start up, nope. then it won't yep. be any time before Mikey, whoever's the Mikey of the group, is just going to lick it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, my friend, yes. If you're going to have these up at Frozen 2, you can guarantee there could be some kids putting their mouths on it and blowing, right? Blowing their cheeks out and, yes, you know, squishing their gonna, nose into pig face. It's all going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how long, how long before one teenager that who's stoned puts his whole ass on the screen <laughs> to, to prank the person next to him that he goes to high school with? Yeah, hey, it's going to happen. And like I said, at the, at the end of it, all the screens that are up, you probably you might want to wipe them, but I think it's for the most part, it's good for the theater. So we'll see. <laughs> just make put more a little shout out. <laughs> yeah, just a little shout out to the theaters. Hey, we're giving you an idea. You know, think about it. This could be great for business. Right. Let's switch our attentions to our indie folks and our indie creatives and filmmakers and the streaming business. And uh, we talked about this a little bit, Nick this idea of how does the indie community use the streaming services they subscribe to or that are free and what do they learn from it and what can they learn from it when they watch? I know that we've had a couple of interviews with friend of the podcast, Matt Williams, who's a great actor here in Nashville. And, you know, he uses his Netflix subscription as a tax deduction because he's an actor and that subscription is how he studies along with the books that he buys and reads on acting. And that's how he stays sharp is by watching performances. But I'm certain there's a lot more you can get from it. And I think you would even question Nick, how much, if you're an indie filmmaker, how much can you actually get from a big budget movie? Yeah. So, there's, and, so it's a double edged sword. Like sometimes you're watching something and you're, there's nothing you can gain from it. So you're kind of fooling yourself and then there are things where you can really, you know, get a lot out of it, right? Yeah, and you know, I think for me, and you know, part of this is just me and my my personality. Where, you know, if I'm working, especially on something that I really enjoy or really love, like you know, everything that we do with Bonsai, then like sometimes I don't want to stop, right? So I find, you know, when you when you have these quote unquote downtimes in the day, 
you know, some people sit and they just, you know, they binge, right? Binge a show and they likely binge the most popular show, you know, uh, right. consume content on TikTok or Instagram, YouTube, wherever, right? Just content, content, content. And it's just, you know, people just end up being these consumers of content for the purposes of consumption, really. And that's it. But for me, you know, I end up getting into these things and saying, well, how does it benefit the thing that I love doing? Right. How does it benefit me in, in a, in a be, in, uh, be better kind of way? And, you know, when I watch Netflix, I mean, there's tons of stuff that you could watch. You know, there's mm-hmm. stuff that the you know, Netflix originals, you know, there's all of these things that are super popular. Even Netflix is trying to tell me what I should be watching now with these top 10 lists. And the thing that I always go back to, you know, because I'm in this industry and because I care about independent filmmakers, I'm always looking for independent films. You know, and I'm and when I say independent films, usually those are the ones that don't have the N on them. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I'm looking for these on Netflix. I'm looking for them for them on Amazon Prime. And the reason is, is because I want to learn something. You know, I want to learn something about the market. You know, who's doing it well in the market that we're in. And this is the idea with the you know, filmmakers, let's say independent filmmakers who only watch top build, you know, studio films. It's like, yes, there is something to be learned from, you know, some of the ways that you know, scenes are shot or the ways that certain people pull off certain performances. But you also have to understand that those people are dealing with budgets that you can't even comprehend. They have access to resources that you won't have access to potentially for the for your whole life. Right. It's a different it's a whole different ball game. But if you focus that time that you have to watch content on others in your market, other independent filmmakers, and you learn from them, right? Maybe the whole film wasn't great, but maybe there was a scene. You know, maybe the whole film wasn't great, but there was a character that just struck you. You know, and I think that's how, you know, independent filmmakers, you know, I don't want to go as far as being prescriptive and say that you should, but I'm just going to say that there's opportunities there that potentially independent filmmakers are leaving behind. So I'd say, you know, yeah, there's there's so much indie quality out there. You know, if you're going to do any market research, you're, you're doing market research within your market, you know, not outside your market. That's so, yeah. So if you have you an op- had you had one, right, you had one recently that stuck out to you, a, a Lewis Mandalore film, right? Yeah, man. And that that's one of those that it really got me you know, thinking about this. And, you know, there was a movie called The Debt Collectors. And, you know, this is a film that, you know, on the surface, you know, looks like a, um, like a beat up action movie. And the main character, um, the main actor, Scott Adkins is in a lot of, you know, martial arts films and these action films. I mean, he's a, a, a great martial artist. I don't know how many different martial arts this guy knows. Um, but you know, he's, he's even been in films with some of the great martial artists of our time. So again, this movie was actually a movie that I was watching because I was doing the thing that I normally don't do, which is just relaxing, right? Like taking my mind off of all things and just, hey, let's watch this movie where a bunch of people get beat up. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. then here's this character whose name in the film is Sue, played by Louis Mandalore. And I'm sitting here watching this character, man, and I'm just getting immersed. Like I'm sitting here like, like this guy, Sue, he's Sue. Like this isn't Louis Mandel. This isn't an actor. Like this is Sue. You know, everything about him is this character. 
You know, at, at no point did I feel like he was playing a character, right? This is, this is masterclass to me. I mean, he was doing a really good job of being this character and, you know, it just struck me. And when it struck me, I started to realize like, okay, Louis Mandalore, he's one busy actor, right? He's in a lot of films. It's not like this guy's struggling for work or anything, but at the same, in the same breath, he's not necessarily a top build actor working on all these large studio films. And I just thought to myself, I was like, with the right character, with the right story, would Louis Mandalore be interested in doing an independent film? Right. And I was just thinking, like, if he were, right, if, if the right person were to reach out to him, imagine what he could do for an independent film. Right? Imagine how he could bring a character to life and put that filmmaker on the map, because most independent films... You know, you only have so much money to work with, so your production value can't be that high. You're not blowing stuff up. You're not going to Mars, right? You're doing stuff on a, on a lower budget. So what you have to double or triple down on is character. Yes. And if he, and if you can get an, you know, it doesn't have to be Louis Mandalore, right? I'm sure there are others of his skill set, but the same. But the the point is, is that he might be available to you, and you would never know about Louis Mandalore and just how great of an actor he continues to become over time if you don't watch the movies that Louis Mandalore is in. Right? If you're always watching the studio films, the Netflix films that come out, you might miss it. Right. And I think that's the thing for independent filmmakers. It's like, hey, you need to watch some stuff that isn't, you know, algorithmed in your face. Right. And, and also <laughs> I would also say, hey, check check your algorithm. Right. Like, like respect the algorithm, meaning there's a very good chance that algorithm knows you better than you know yourself. Right. So if if the algorithm is feeding you content, it's because it matches you or go deep on it. Right. I'll say that. I'll say go deep on it. So if you're going to leverage the algorithm, go deep. Right. Don't don't leverage the algorithm just to get all the Netflix films. Right. Or the top studio films. Go deep. Right. Click on click on the film that they recommended and then click on what others watched or show me other stuff like this. Right. Right. And then go deep on it. But, you know, be purposeful in your watching and find films like these that, again, you know, this, you know, I I want to talk about because I think it did a great job. You know, the film is not an, an, an Oscar worthy film. Right. It's not going to be like that. I want people listening. Oh, the guys on, you know, make a podcast told us to watch this film. And it's not that he's not a big blockbuster film. It's not about that. It's about a character, you know, and a performance by an actor and the opportunity to get folks like him, if not him, you know, maybe call him, you know, see if you can get him too. But if he can get into a great story and pull off a great character performance, then that could do wonders for any independent film. Yeah, it's very similar to what uh, Sarah Zanotti and Katie Amon said about uh, Mariana Palka. You know, they love her, but they openly admit that they don't love her. Films aren't great, but they love how she approaches every film. Yep, it's almost like how I used to love Harmony Korine, <laughs> uh, who made Kids. You know, he's, you know, you could say he, he's a good filmmaker. He is, but the way he approaches his movies isn't for everybody. And, and it borders on sometimes not having a good movie, 
but you can always appreciate that he's trying to present you with art and, and a really tough or interesting, you know, idea that, that comes out of it. The other thing that I thought about too, is just that people might question and say, well, Nick and Chris, why, why do you want us to do that? Like our dream is to be a studio director or uh, the world famous actor or Roger Deakins and, and I'm the best cinematographer in the world or, or to work at a big studio or to actually be in a Netflix production or Amazon production or Hulu production, et cetera, Apple TV plus. And we would say that's fine, but I think what's going to happen in the next 20 years because of technology and the, and the speed of AI and machine learning is there will be a vast divide between the haves and have nots. And every movie will have so much of that element in it from the studio perspective that there will be a hunger for just human movies and the other stuff won't be accessible. So it's important that we start right now and define our market, hold on to it, create it, defend it, grow it and say, and and, and you can agree with me or not, Nick, I, I think you do. I would like to see a redefinition in a redefining of indie film. You know, indie film sort of casually means not a studio movie, meaning low budget, low low quality performances, low quality stories, or or just lesser than, right? It's almost a euphemism for it. I would like to see indie get redefined as simply meaning no CGI, no robots made this. This was a story about human beings made by human beings and therefore it costs less money, you know? I mean, I think that's a a great way to look at it, especially because, you know, what we often tell filmmakers about, you know, you know, why should you make your story? And we always say, you know, you should be making it for something greater than yourself. It's for, it's for a community. It's for people. It's for a cause. It's for a purpose um, because we want independent filmmakers to have the luxury of bringing an audience with them. Um, but if you're making real raw, authentic content, then it is just that, right? It's not going to be, you know, you hate to, um, I'm going to use this word, but I'm just going to say it's not sullied by the artificial, <laughs> right? Because yeah. it has a greater purpose, right? right? That's, that's the idea. It's no that, sullying. Yes. You're right. Cause, because, and, and I, I use that term just to go back to what you're saying about, you know, where indie film maybe should be, you know, when we re-engineer the word, it's like, no, that's, this is what this is. This is authentic. Yeah. You we know, should change real. it to authentic film instead of indie film. Yeah. And then because, right it, there, because that will mean more than anything going in the next 20 years, the next decade or two, there will be artificial intelligence movies and CGI. So artificial film that indie filmmakers won't have access to the funding and what it takes to do it, the technology. And then there'll be yeah. authentic film, yeah, which are the I, kind of I movies think, we make. Yeah. And I think that's that already, man. You know, I think that I mean, it's about artificial film, like, you know, um, my son and I were watching, you know, the, I guess it was like, not necessarily the making of, but one of these things where it talks about how they leverage CG, you know, CGI for the Avengers movies. And, you know, I think we're far enough away. I'm, there's no spoilers or anything in this, but watching um, Endgame, and I think everyone remembers 
anyone who watched the movie remembers the suits that were that they made for the Avengers. You know, there was this common suit that they wore mm-hmm. after Pym, you know, gave them the the knowledge to create this machine, right? Mm-hmm. And um, there were all these, like, gray suits, right? Kind of a silvery tone or whatever, and every last one of the Avengers had it. You realize these suits weren't real? <laughs> I, think I, I think I felt like it, yeah. I thought they were wardrobe. They weren't wardrobe. It was CG. Yeah, I I assume everything I saw in that movie, except I even the actors were probably fifty percent CG, right? Well, like, they, they they were, but I'm just saying, like the, some of the things that you take for granted. Like I thought, I mean, the wardrobe. You know what I'm saying? I get it if you have an entirely CG character. Right. Of course, his wardrobe It's like when a Black Panther showed up in Civil War and he's fighting like that is an entirely CG character. Mm-hmm. Right? I get that. But when you have a real person walking and they decided to CG the whole costume. It's amazing, right? Yeah, because the part of me is like, well, why didn't you just make it? You're like, what? <laughs> you know, that's what you always did before. You made these cool costumes. Like, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah exactly. So but what, what was the purpose there? Because they could. Right. Was there some compelling need to do this? Like, I get it if you did it on Hulk. And right? that's He's not a real character. He's CG. Right. <laughs> and that's why going to these studios is so valuable because you'll see the, the kind of rigs that are set up by engineers, not by filmmakers, but by engineers. And these camera setups that are that are hooked to um, and connected and integrated with software. And they just bring the actor in and they get naked inside of this rig and the cameras go off and then you can model someone's entire body and put whatever you want on them. Yeah. And but that's the how, thing is, that's how they do it. Yeah. But the thing is, is getting to your point, right? Like now that they can, will they all the time? Yes. Like they, forget they wardrobe. You know what I'm saying? Like if you don't, like you never need a wardrobe, right? On those high, again, if, if it gets, if the budgets keep getting higher then the things that you need to do with the human is much less, right? So I don't need a wardrobist anymore, right? Maybe I need a designer to design the costume. They, they replaced they, they, they replaced like the Cicely Hoffmans of the world with a thousand people that worked for a, a firm that they put in the credits that worked on the movie. And the reason why they're going to keep doing it is because they're eventually going to find some sort of economy of scale or they're going to, or, or technological advance through like Moore's Law or whatever, where it, actually creating a CGI outfit is less expensive than creating one from scratch. But they're not there yet. But that's the idea. A lot of the high budgets that go up are, are P&A because you get in a place like Tenet is where the movie can't afford to miss. And that's, you know, that's all marketing dollars behind that. You know, it's a lot of marketing dollars behind the budget of the of the movie, quite quite frankly. But it is it is shocking, and I want to say something to your point, Nick. I don't think people like it. Like I know you don't like it. Yeah, well, so if you find out, you know, and yeah. like it's it's one of those things where I think some people will be fine with it because they want to see the spectacle, right? And then maybe later they find out, maybe they don't. Right? I just found out. Like it wasn't something that was told to me or you know during the movie or like you know there was a making of and they showed me and then I was pissed or the or I found out before the movie and I'm like funk this movie they didn't do real wardrobes you know it was more like you just find out after the fact after you paid your money to watch it but like right. 
I think to to the point that we're making here is that as that continues to increase and as it becomes gets to the point where it almost seems cartoonish, it's like my wife doesn't watch cartoons, right? Mm-hmm. Like at all. She doesn't really like cartoons. So it's like because the idea of it, like it's that's childish or it's it's not real. Like she wants to see real people. I think that's kind of the point that we're getting at is that at some point it's just not going to be real. It's going to be so fake that people will start to basically hunger for the real and they'll want it on the complete other side of the spectrum, right? They'll want a complete 180 raw, yes. real, authentic film. That's ex- yes, that's exactly right. And I think that's already happening. If you look at the ratings for the previous um, month or two, it's all real. Hamilton. 3x the ratings of the next closest competitor on streaming. And that's just people. That's a play. Disney didn't, Disney didn't reshoot Hamilton and release it on Disney plus. They just shot the live performance of the play and that play crushed all competitors for uh, the month of July. Why, why did it do it? Because the story is great and the audience is niche and the idea is niche. Right. So you have that combination along with the performances just being fantastic. And it's real. You don't have to ask. People feel funny when they're rooting for something that's fake. You can root for something that's real. Number two on the list, unsolved mysteries. Those are real people, real stories about real lives. Okay. Then you get into the fake. You get into the old guard, Hannah, Palm Springs, etc. But if you look at month over month over month, number one show on Netflix is The Office. It's real. It's real people making you laugh. You know, you sit down, you have a drink, you watch The Office. If you're young, you you know, it's you get a laugh in a time where everyone's saying gloom and doom. I'm sure it's hilarious if you're high. It's just, (laughs) you know, so I think the point is well made. Hamilton, The Office, Unsolved Mysteries are all testaments to the fact that the audience wants truly real people. Yep. So with that, I want to say thank you for joining this conversation, my friend. This was uh, another awesome chat. Do you have uh, any thoughts before we go into the the final credits here? Yeah, I'll just do uh, one last. It's It's kind of a plug and kind of an ask. Um, you know, I have already reached out to Lewis Mandalore's agent, you know, requesting an audience with him. I would love for him to be on here on this podcast, sharing his wisdom with our folks. That would be fantastic. Uh, I understand that his schedule is super busy, right? Super packed. Um, and just looking at his filmography right now, I believe he's got like five or six films in pre in uh, pre-production. He's got some films, films in post-production. Like I told you, this dude is working, right? Like no joke. He stays busy. So I get it. Uh, but I'm going to put a shout, you know, shout out to him and anybody, any of our listeners that know him. Hey, Louis Mandalore, if you got time in your schedule, if it frees up at any point, give us a shout out, you know, uh, bonsai.film, you know, the agent's got my, my info, but we'd love to have you on, man. Yeah, 100%. That'd be a great interview, super valuable for this audience, and we hope we can make it happen in the near future. So let's keep our fingers crossed. And as, uh, yeah. And as you mentioned, Nick, you can find us on Instagram, Twitter at underscore 
Bonsai Creative. You can DM us or message us on those apps and we will get right back to you. You can also reach out to us with questions, concerns, comments at contact at bonsai.film. So B-O-N-S-A-I dot F-I-L-M. You can go to our website and peruse all of our blog posts, all of our podcasts, all of our services and resources at www.bonsai.film. If you go to Facebook, you can search for us by just clicking in Bonsai Creative and we'll come right up. And uh, we really appreciate it. Um, I think that's all we have for this episode. And so with that, Nick, sign us off with the credo. Yeah, man. So all the filmmakers out there, as we always say, be better, be creative and be engaged. And thank you for listening. Appreciate you, Nick. Yes, sir. This is great. As right. always. Yes, sir. Talk to you soon. All right, man. Ladies. Peace. You've been listening to the Make It Podcast. To find more information about this week's topics, including links to relevant blog posts, projects, and indie creatives, please visit our website at www.bonsai.film. If you haven't already, you can join our podcast community on Apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choice by searching for Make It Bonsai Creative and the show will pop right up. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Bonsai Creative and Facebook by searching for Bonsai Creative. And of course, if you're looking to take a big step towards your filmmaking success, go to www.bonsai.film and click on Book Us to schedule a free discovery meeting and needs assessment. You have everything to gain. Until next time, be better, be creative, be engaged, and thank you for listening.